Lean on doctors and medical professionals instead of on conspiracy theories on Facebook and other horse shit that's been out there that's killing people. All right. And that's what they played into. And they know that they played into it. And they've done it for no other reason. In most cases, those people are vaccinated. They wouldn't dare go anywhere uh, without being vaccinated or without having a damn mask on because they know that they are in a high risk category and might die. But it didn't stop them from putting other people at risk. And that is absolutely deplore. Alrighty. Welcome in, boys and girls. It is uh, another fine episode of your favorite podcast, uh, Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon and... David Person. And I think we can actually say that, Josh, because literally... Thousands of people either download it or stream it, right? I know, man. It's a yeah. It is a. I I, I swear to God, uh, this is. Uh, let me let me read you. I didn't I didn't send y'all this, uh, but uh, I'm I'm gonna so I'm gonna read it. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a message that I got from uh, from Dick Brubaker ah, uh, after uh, yeah. this was last night. He sent it to me last night and said I I I never would have thought. I'd get as many comments, some nice, some not, about being on your podcast. You have obviously built up a great audience. Great job. I uh, think, uh, think you heard uh, the back and forth, and, and people really enjoyed that. But I heard from literally hundreds of people. Wow. So, uh-huh. yeah, it was uh, uh, very, very nice of him to say, very nice of him to be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But that uh, it is, um, you know, I, I'd say – People a lot of times, you know, we don't. Uh, this was all kind of word of mouth thing too. You know, we mm-hmm. we've not put uh, a lot of we've let it grow, uh, let people catch on as they wanted to, and uh, and try to build a little audience at, at, that that understands what we're doing. It's uh, we're not we're not yelling and screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll have some people on that you disagree with from time to time, but that's not really the purpose of the show. It's not that. Right. It's to our our purpose when we started was more to give voice to the folks that you never hear from. Um, and, and yes, most of the time there are people that we ideologically agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have some differences here or there on things, but for the most part, they're, you know, Chris England and Anthony Daniels and, uh, the folks that get elected to office from the Democratic side of the ticket. Uh, you know, and because, you know what, they're 40% of this state is, yeah. is Democrat. Uh, they, they, that's minimum because that's what votes, uh, yeah. in this state. 40 is 40%. I know that gets squashed out a lot of times, uh, but, that's that's the reality in this state is these are these are 40% of the people that you live with every day and walk around with and it would be worthwhile i think to hear their side of the story and to hear what they have to say um and to know what they're thinking and to know that they're not a bunch of crazy liberals that were trying to you know force your kids into some sort of surgery that they don't want. <laughs> exactly. Just, you know, exactly. whatever craziness you think comes from from the left side of things and it's um you know as a matter of fact i believe uh, you know, that if we we implemented more of the democratic agenda, more of the liberal, uh, quote unquote, agenda, that far, far more working class Alabamians would be better off. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, there, there's one there's one that's dying right now today at the national level, which is uh, negotiating uh, prescription drug prices 
that was in a bill that's being pushed by the White House and Democrats in Congress, and it's being killed by Republicans. And I hear from people all the time about the cost of their uh, insulin costs, the cost of, you know, uh, all sorts of drugs uh, out there uh, that, that's killing them. And, you know, that. This is this is what happens, you know, it, it, yeah. you know, I, it, shouldn't so be, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. I mean, what was it? Uh, Reagan was elected in 1980. So that's about 40 some odd years ago. If my math is correct, um, he he was openly promoting, you know, what what became called trickle down economics. Mm-hmm. And and if. You know, and you don't have to be an economist to understand what the essence of it is, because the it's actually in the name. The mm-hmm. whole concept is that if you protect the rich and enrich the rich, uh, that uh, the benefits will trickle down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if we were if we were living in a truly just and moral society where people were pretty much could be counted on to do what they say they're going to do and to and to really live just and loving lives, then yeah, that might be true. But mm-hmm. guess what? We don't. And yeah. and it's been shown time and time again that for the vast majority of the wealthy, not all, not all, you've got your Warren Buffetts and some others out there, but for the vast majority of the wealthy, what they do is they reinvest in themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't reinvest in their companies to any great degree, and they sure as hell don't allow the the you know anything more than breadcrumbs, if that, mm-hmm. to yeah. fall from as as Jesus said in the New Testament, telling the story about Lazarus from the rich man's table. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really the scenario that we're in, and it's not even as good as that apparently. So. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it's it should be obvious to people by now that if you want if you want in this at this particular juncture in history, if you want to see as a working class person or a middle class person, if you want to see your tax dollars benefit you more, there's really only one party to vote for. For the <laughs> yeah. for the most part, there really yeah. is only one party to vote for. There there are exceptions here and there. There's some Republicans out there that truly are sympathetic to the working class and the middle class and the poor and try to do something, but they seem to be in the minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, uh, as I tell people all the time, it ain't trickling, you know, yeah. it, uh, you, you can talk about all you want to, but it ain't trickling. Uh, yeah. they, they're, they're not trickling your money down. They're buying their stocks back is yeah. what that is what's happening. And it's, that's, uh, right. that's, and what what kills me about this is that from that forty year point forward, um, if you look at what has always worked in American in the the American economy, always, always, always from Clinton to Obama to now, I'm certain certain with Biden as well. What had, what works is focusing on the bottom first. Lifting from the bottom, and when you do that, it supports the entire company. Just look at what we did in the midst of a pandemic by supporting the poorest Americans uh, first with with some of the stimulus money and some of the stimulus packages that came out, uh, sending out those checks to people that cut child poverty by a third. 
Uh, you know, that, I mean, in Alabama, put 300,000 kids off of the poverty list, you know, that made sure they had food. Um, you know, and, and if you did the same thing, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you want to solve job, uh, some of the job problems that you've got out there, find some child care. All right. Pay for child care for people. You know, implement universal child care. And I guarantee you all the jobs that you want will be filled because that's what's holding people back right now is it, the math doesn't work to go out and work for even $15 an hour if you also have to pay for, for daycare for the for the child. Um, so, you know, that those sorts of things and those sorts of initiatives uh, have historically been what cuts the, the debt and the deficit. Um, and there, there's only been two people in the last 60 years who's done it, um, and they were both from the Democratic Party. Uh, one was Obama and one was, was Clinton. Um, and so, you know, th- those are the, those are the only two and, uh, and Obama did it despite inheriting one hell of a mess, uh, when yeah. he came in, uh, nearly, a, nearly a second great depression. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's where we are, but you know, and that kind of gets us to what I wanted to talk about, uh, in, in the opening here. Right. And that's, um, that's the, 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 the change, the positive change that comes often from uh, there being a new, fresh perspective uh, from diversity uh, hires, from electing uh, people of color, um, that, that you all of a sudden, there, there's a new focus um, on, on things that were that historically had slipped below the radar. Or, or on things that would not have uh, even landed on the radar before. Uh, and one of those, I think, took place Tuesday, or, you know, I guess the, the end of those, uh, took place Tuesday in Montgomery when they renamed a street, took down the name of a Confederate president, and put up a name of uh, an American, an actual American hero in Fred Gray uh, on, on the street, and they renamed the street that he grew up on in Montgomery uh, for him. Uh, should have happened a long time ago. Um, and also they started the process of expunging the record of Claudette Colvin. Um, and if you don't know who Claudette Colvin was, she was basically going on her way to being Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks. Uh, she was uh, tossed off a bus for refusing to give up her seat rightfully within the law, rightfully. Uh, to to a white man, uh, despite the orders from the bus driver, uh, and then was charged with some some crimes, uh, segregation crimes, and um, and then also assaulting a police officer because she did not immediately get up and and was dragged off the bus, um, and so that was her assaulting the police officer, um, and the assaulting uh, everything else was tossed except the assaulting the police officer charge, and for that. Uh, when she was 15 years old mm-hmm. and you should, uh, the, the mug shots from back then uh, of her, I mean, she was a, a child. I mean, you, you just look at it. She was a child and the, uh, that, that stuck for that charge. She received indefinite probation. And when they said indefinite, they were serious about indefinite. Uh, it, uh, it lasted yeah. for what, 67 years now. So, yeah. I was going to say it was, she was 15. So, yeah. and she's 80, now. she's 82. 80 what? A two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not great at math, but I think I worked that one out okay. I think you um, 
Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, she, uh, so they started uh, the, the process of expunge, having that expunged from her record, uh, mm-hmm. which it, it should have been. And, and there will probably be some others that, that follow the, her, uh, her fellow plaintiffs in the Browder v. Gale suit, I believe, will, will probably uh, have their records expunged as well over the course of the next, you know, year or so. Um, yeah. it, it's just, it, it, but I, I bring all of it up to say, I don't think any of it happens without Stephen Reed being there um, as mayor of Montgomery, the mayor, uh, first black fair. mayor of Montgomery. Right. Um, and that's fair because it would have happened by now were yeah. that not the case, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when he, he first went in, he started looking. I mean, and this, these were the stories way back. He started looking for something he could do to honor Fred Gray. Fred Gray and Joe Reed, uh, Stephen's father, have been friends forever. When I first met uh, Fred Gray, uh, Joe Reed was basically running the board of trustees at Alabama State University. Fred Gray was the university attorney mm-hmm. um, uh, at the time. Uh, and, and they have been you know great friends for, for a long time. Friend, their families are, are all friendly. So he wanted to do something to honor honor him and rightfully so this is not heaping something on somebody that doesn't deserve it i mean right. read the history of fred gray my god the man is as I, I don't know how everybody doesn't know his name uh but uh and then in the process of of honoring rosa parks uh reed's office wanted to make sure that they also honored claudette colvin uh which is uh, who off too far too often gets overlooked and the reason she was not Rosa Parks, that she was not the person that the lawsuits were based on, is because shortly after uh, her arrest, she became pregnant. Um, And now she said it was statutory rape Mm -hmm. uh, that that led to that. But the people that were leading the, the boycott effort there felt like she would not be a very sympathetic figure to a lot of the church going groups that were there because she had become pregnant and it might hinder them. And they wanted to make sure they did it uh, with and got all the support yeah. they could get. And, and I want to linger on Claudette Colvin for a minute, even though sure. I think, as you said, uh, the honoring of Fred Gray was extremely well-deserved and long overdue, but, but, but so was, so, so is the, this effort to, uh, expunge uh, Ms. Colvin's record and also to, I hope, eventually honor her in some significant way. Now, there, there's some things we need to think about here. First, I think let's start with what you just talked about. So going back to that era, the late mm-hmm. 1950s, it is unfortunate, but it is true that statutory rape was not viewed the same way it is today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got a young woman who's pregnant, and I can I can tell you as somebody who has grown up in the black church and continues to be active in the black church, that it has really just been within the past 20 years or so that churches, you know, I'll be generous and say 25 years maybe, that churches have even begun to acknowledge that when a young woman is pregnant, there was a man involved. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, yeah. really, seriously. Yeah. They, what used to happen as I was growing up, and even as an adult, I saw it, and, 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 and many people can testify to this. What used to happen was you'd have to get up uh, a young woman who became pregnant 
it was almost like the churches would almost treat it, treat them like they were immaculate conceptions, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the young woman would have to get up, sometimes apologize to the church, sometimes apologize to the pastor and the board or whatever. And then, and then in many cases, if not all cases, would probably also face some kind of additional disciplinary action, like being uh, censored for a year or, or kicked out of the church, you know, and then would have to go through a, some kind of a, a reentry, I'll call it, reentry process or something. So, you know, it's unfortunate that, that Ms. Coven, uh, as she's indicated, uh, she was a victim, but even if she hadn't been a victim, Mm-hmm. She was going to face harsh treatment, and um, and it's unfortunate that that was that was the attitude of those times. The other thing that's significant, Josh, is that, and she talked about this herself. She had dark skin. Yes, yes. So you juxtapose Claudette Coven with her dark skin. Rosa Parks, and this is no disrespect to Mrs. Parks. Yeah. We revere her, honor her, all of that. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Parks and Claudette Coven had no say in the color of their skin or the texture of their hair. But when you juxtapose the two women, mm-hmm. I'll say, even though Claudette Coven, as you said, was a child, she's a female, juxtapose these two females. There clearly was one. And, and, and age also was probably a factor, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, you know, there was clearly one who was going to be more sympathetic because of the acculturation, not only of white people, but of black people. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, that's, what, that's the way things were then. I wish I could say that they were dramatically different today. Gotta say, honestly, not a mm-hmm. whole heck of a lot. Not yeah, a whole yeah. heck of a lot. In fact, yeah. I've even read reports, Josh, where it's been said that in some college circles, some young people, I guess this is what Generation Z or whatever, are beginning to uh, once again do a variation, well, do sort of a skin color test of their own fellow black people that was akin to the old brown paper bag test of the early 20th century. So it's terrible. Oh, really yeah, absolutely. That. It's terrible. It's absolutely so silly terrible. to me, too. I mean, it's so, yeah. you know, why? What? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It just it's so not not just with any with any skin color thing. Why? What do you why do you care? I just don't well, understand why people care. Well, you know, it's it's you know, if we're just going to be blunt, it's the it's the legacy of of slavery, segregation. And if you go beyond the United States, just colonialism in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time doing some reporting in Jamaica uh, uh, several years back, and we discovered that in Jamaica, and this was in the early 2000s, Josh, we discovered mm-hmm. in Jamaica that, that it was, that there was this unfortunate but very prevalent phenomenon of people using skin bleaching chemicals on themselves to lighten their skin. And some of these people weren't even, didn't have the resources to actually get the store-bought skin bleaching ointments. So they would 
concoct their own using toothpaste or whatever they were using. And so you would see these people, and I, and I saw some, who were walking around Kingston, Jamaica with this gray, and I do mean gray, I, don't, I, I mean absolutely gray, ashy skin tone just on their face, on their face. And, and, I, and I was told that it was the result of them concocting something to bleach their skin. And I was also told, and this is the, again, the twisted nature of it, that there were men in Jamaica who decided they would rather be with a woman who looked like that, unnatural, looked like that, than a mm. woman who had dark, naturally dark skin. And I would say That's... beautiful. Dark skin. Yeah. I actually prefer darker women to lighter women myself. So I'm saying all this to say that um, you know it's it's very unfortunate that uh, this has been. You're asking why. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you some context for the reason. Yeah. It's just that 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 damned colonialism and and racial segregation and slavery and all of that has become so deeply embedded in the black community that it still has an impact on us today. And that's a shame, but black people listening know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, people, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've never had an issue with, with blood pressure or, you know, any, anything like that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a very calm person. I'm, I'm usually very relaxed. I don't get stressed out about a lot of things. And people ask me a lot, well, you know, I don't so understand how it is that, that you, 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 you're, you're that way. And I said, and let me tell you, a lot of it, I think, is I don't worry about shit like that. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it never crosses my mind to worry about how dark or light somebody's skin is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, I, I worry about whether you're an asshole or not. You know what I mean? I mean, it, and that's where I pretty much draw the line. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I mean, if, if you're okay, then you're, ca- oh, you're great. You know yeah. I mean? And, and you know, come by the house, we'll watch a ball game or whatever, yeah. you know, and it don't, I don't care how dark you are or how light you are, uh, right. you know, and, um, <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll we'll hang out and it'll be fine, you know. But it's just, um, you know, I, I we going back to you know, to Rosa Parks and and Colvin on that. You're because you're, you're 100 percent right about everything you've said, um, and uh, because Rosa Parks herself had talked about it, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because she was uh, involved in the planning of the bus boycott, which is the greatest boycott in the history of boycotts of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of peaceful protest that there Absolutely. is nothing. They sustained that boycott. And I, I don't think people fully understand how ingrained the transportation, the bus transportation system in Montgomery was into the working class lives every day of the black citizens of Montgomery and how it got them from point A to point B to their jobs every single day and how much the city relied on them, how much uh, that that system was just integral to the to the part of, of the city and the workings there. And they sustained that thing 
for more than a year. And it took, I mean, there were threats. There mm-hmm. were, there was violence. There were people's houses were bombed, uh, literally bombed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, they, there were, they, they had to every day come up with a new plan of, of how to transport people to their jobs, uh, using, uh, all th- this makeshift transportation system that they come up with. The guy, uh, hearses were involved, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> of, uh, the black funeral home guy was, was running hearses around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was that's how they did this. And they did it for more than a year. They stayed off of those buses and they crippled that system and they crippled the city in the process. And that's what got this thing turned around and got the whole the whole civil rights movement started was that. Um, And and Rosa Parks played a very important role in planning that and in, in kind of determining what to do. And it was never it was never intended for her to be that person. Um, but that day she was sitting in that seat and he started that, you know, he started with her Mm -hmm. and she was like, not today, my man, not today. Um, and that was it. Uh, and that that's, they had their person. They knew that they could rely on her because she was part of the the movement, uh, there that she had helped playing. She met every day with Fred Gray. Um, and and they had lunch together, uh, but prior to the, the, to her arrest, uh, you know, he was her attorney as well. Um, and it just, you know, there, it's a shame. It's a shame that we don't teach a better history and that we don't know these things. And I, cause I didn't know shit about any of this before yeah. uh, I, I moved to Montgomery and met a lot of these people, uh, Fred Gray being one of them. Um, and, and I, you know, I count him as, as being just, you know, uh, one yeah. of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, really? Well, I, I want to recommend to people if they have not done so already, uh, Taylor Branch, uh, a white historian, has written the definitive, in my opinion, the definitive histories on the civil rights movement, much of which is, of course, about our great state of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, The books are, and I've got them right here on my bookshelf, I'm looking right at them, Parting the Waters, Pillar of Fire, and At Canaan's Edge. Those are the three books that he has written, and they are substantial books. We're talking probably 400 or so pages. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, each one, give or take, but they are exhaustive. They are definitive and they are very well written too, by the way. And he covers it all. He, he goes, if I, if I recollect correctly, he starts with E.D. Nixon, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Dr. King's predecessor in, in, uh, in leadership in Montgomery uh, mm-hmm. related to civil rights and and related to uh, the uh, church community. And yeah. he goes all the way to uh, King's death. And yeah, it's, it is phenomenal. You know, I had a I had a conversation with uh, with Fred Gray one time uh, about about the start of the whole thing. And we were just really we we're just talking about um you know, about how, you know, he talked about the Montgomery Improvement Association, you know, and how they, um, you know, they got their start with E.D. Nixon and some of the other folks that were around. And, um, and I mean, and he, he had some really, really funny stories about some of these folks and just kind mm-hmm. of poking fun at some Stop of them it. and stuff. And, um, and, you know, and he was, so I was like, well, t- you know, tell me, tell me about Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and about that. <laughs> He's, I swear to God, I said, 
Yeah, Martin was just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say that? I said, what? He said, oh, listen, listen, he was good. He was good, but we didn't know Martin. Nobody knew Martin. He wasn't right. involved in anything. You know, he was a he was he was a new preacher in town at the church. And they said somebody came to us and said, Hey, you really ought to go see this guy over at the uh over at the church over there and uh uh you know, the Dexter Avenue Church. He's like, you know, he's teaching he's preaching over there now. He's got a new one. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. So we went and saw him and he was fine. <laughs> it was just it was just like so dismissive of the whole thing. He was like, I said, well, he turned out okay. He's like, oh yeah, he turned out great. But you know, at the time, he had done nothing, you know. And uh, I was like, I thought, yeah, he turned out okay. Maybe maybe that should have been your thing. You should have recruited civil rights guys. So, yeah, he was fine. I, mean, I just remember it so much. I'm saying he was fine. Uh, and it was, uh, but he uh, and the thing it was is he was not he was not putting him down. I don't want to lead people to to, uh-huh. to believe that it was not. You know, it was it was just that. He was trying to convey, you know, look, he he was going to be our spokesperson, but there was all of these other people that were working, uh, you know, that were behind the scenes that don't that don't get the uh, the fame that that came to King later on, uh, and rightfully so. And and I, he was he's not bitter in any way about any of that, uh, but it's it was just. You know, it, th- this was just a piece of the puzzle. You know, this was just one piece of the puzzle that maybe gets a little too much attention at times. But um, it was not uh, it, it just he, he was so funny and, and trying to think back to those days of of that and, and imagine it, you know, of those those people that that were going to try to do this monumental thing mm-hmm. um, that this impossible thing of shutting down the buses and launching a civil rights movement uh, for equality for themselves and for so many of their friends and family, they, they were going to do this thing. This, it, you know, it, to think about the impossibility of that, yeah. And then to know that they pulled it off. They pulled it off. They and if I were off. Fred, and I know if I were Fred Gray, I I wouldn't envy Dr. King at all because Fred Gray outlived Dr. King by how many years? Oh, close, bunch, to, yeah. close to 50, 55 years or mm-hmm. something like that. Fred Gray's, what, 92? I think that's right, yeah. yeah. Well, if he's it's 92, a- yeah, so he outlived them by by over 50, well over 50 years. I mean, I, you know, yeah, Dr. Well. King, God bless him. I mean, God bless his legacy. Uh, and he's right. He was an unknown entity when he got to town. But, man, what a transformation. And, you know, he was a reluctant leader. And that's mm-hmm. documented as well. Dr. Yes, King he was. was not, you know, he wasn't vying for the position of leadership. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any no. glory initially. There was, you know, and really you could argue that even as his, as his ministry and his activism uh, evolved, even though there were moments of glory, there was so much pain, mm-hmm. so much suffering, so much, I think... I, I'm going to say fear, even though that may not be exactly the right word that he had to live with and that his family had to live with. Yeah. I mean, who would want to pay that price? Well, I, you know, I Only don't a godly man, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, and to continue on like he did, certainly. Um, and and it was uh, it, you're, you're 100 percent right. But, I, you know, it was. I, I wish that more people knew what went what went on there, and I, I'll tell you just two uh, two things. And I, I won't go into the stories, but uh, because we got we got to get, uh, get out of here and and go get Chris England on. But um, Rosa Parks was an NAACP investigator mm-hmm. uh, who challenged sheriffs and other 
men of no, white men of acclaim and uh, in the South in Alabama uh, for rapes of black women. That Lucy was what Taylor. she did That's before right. the bus. Okay, That's, right. That's what That's she right. did. That's uh, right. She that was a badass lady. All mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, you some might say worthy of naming somebody after, but uh, the um, but also. Uh, you know, that there were Fred Gray, just to tell you about Fred Gray's ability as an attorney, he got Martin Luther King Jr. acquitted of tax evasion in Alabama in the 1960s by an all white jury yeah. <laughs> at the height of some of the uh, of the of the harshest civil rights battles in the country. Right. He got him acquitted of tax evasion during that time. So that speaks um, volumes. Yeah. 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 So listen, I, this has uh, been good. And I, I really, I, it's really, it really makes me proud that, that, uh, that Montgomery has done that and that Stephen Reed w- was, had played a part of that. And, and it's something that I think that we should strive for in this state overall. Amen. Um, but all right, we'll slide out. Uh, we'll come back and talk about the opposite of progress, uh, <laughs> with, uh, uh, and our re gerrymandering that's taking place oh, uh, with, with representative Chris England, uh, back in a minute. The power brokers that determine who gets the shiny campaign set up and who doesn't um, is kind of an old boys club. And we didn't want to have to turn those clients away because they couldn't afford the big consultant minimums to hire a pricey consulting firm. So we created Turn It Blue Digital to give down ballot candidates an option um, and give them a way to look like they know what they're doing, even if they don't always feel like they do. Well, uh, talk about uh, some of the options. Like, uh, give, give people an example of, of what you could do. If, if they wanted to run for, you know, the county commission or they wanted to run for, for you know, a state house seat. Right. So the first thing we would do is um, get them started with a launch kit. So this is everything a candidate needs to look um, professional online to have everything set up and running smoothly. Um, one of my other favorite projects we've been working on, we just rebuilt this platform from the ground up, um, is a ad buying platform. So you can go in in 15 minutes for $500 and run your own display ads, run your own video ads, um, and even run your connected TV. Um, so your Peacock, your Hulu, that kind of stuff. How do people get in touch with you? How do, how do they find out what you're all about and, and see the pricing and get signed up? Yep. So we are at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, you can tweet me SC Clayton five. Um, you can email me Beth at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, but turnitbluedigital.com is the best way to, to submit that inquiry form and get started. Alrighty, welcome back, Alabama Politics This Week, and uh, we are happy now to have with us Representative Chris England. Uh, you know, the, I know you, you you wear many hats, but this I guess this week we're going to go with the uh, with the representative one um, and um, uh, and talk about gerrymandering that's ta- that's taking place currently at the at the state house. I mean, they're they're calling it redistricting or reapportionment, uh, but uh, I think we we've all seen what's kind of taking place there and. Um, I guess right out of the gate, let me just ask you, what is, what do you think has been the biggest story out of this or the biggest problem uh, that you've noticed so far? Um, the biggest problem is probably the, I mean, this process hasn't been transparent at all. Um, uh, what's, 
what's interesting is, you know, I, I think everybody understands that um, the census came back late. I, mean, I think there's a pretty good reason for that, but census came back late, which delayed the process. Mm-hmm. But other states have managed to get their maps out and make them public well before um, the their legislative bodies met and started started the process of considering them. So I think one of the biggest stories about all of this is that it appears that all of the prep work, all of the meetings that were done across the, the state, um, all the public hearings really didn't amount to much. Um, because the way the process appears it's going, this map was already written up, designed, and uh, they were doing all of these other things because they had to. Um, so I don't think the people of the state of Alabama have had any real impact on what these map, how these maps look, how these districts are drawn. And um, I think the process is being rushed simply because the, the answer was already drafted. The question was that. And, you know, I don't think you, you see anything from this process that suggests anything different. Um, I think the other story is, bottom line, um, while, you know, you keep hearing this, the, the, the concept or the idea of keeping counties whole and not sp- splitting precincts, it's the driving force behind all this, but it's not. It's, it's really making sure that, um, that, we still maintain six Republican congressional districts, uh, one Democratic district, and that um, you know the 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 primary concern here is race is um, making sure they maintain a Republican supermajority in the House and the Senate, and also um, trying to minimize as much as possible the influence of um, the black vote outside of those traditional uh, Democratic districts. Yeah, I, you know, I, I looked at uh, at some of those um, the maps and stuff, and, and have been looking at them for the last few days, and um, it it's disappointing to me that there is not more outrage among everybody. I mean, that's not you know, I know everybody's divided up into teams now, and that's all anyone cares about. But um, even even if you're a, a Republican. Uh, now, looking at what they're doing, uh, where they're essentially uh, selecting their voters who will vote for them instead of voters selecting them. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it you've made, what was it, 5% uh, of the districts basically on, on every map are competitive. That's it, 5%, uh, you know, for, for our legislative districts. Or, uh, and, you know, that that cannot be a way that you want to govern you, 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 at that point, you have people in place that don't have to do anything. They don't have to work. They don't have to appease anybody. They don't have to follow, uh, you know, any, any group of people, as we've just seen from this process, I guess. They didn't even have to, they, they went through the motions, but they didn't have to listen to anybody because they knew they were safe as babies up there. Well, I mean, I, I think it's clear. I mean, they did not listen to anybody. Um, and, you know, keep referring to people that, that don't have names or faces as folks that we consult uh, to help us draw these maps and to make sure they comply with the Voting Rights Act, make sure they satisfy the Constitution, equal protection, one man, one vote, um, and make sure that we keep counties all this kind of stuff. But it's it's very clear that there was very limited involvement from 
from the people of the state of Alabama and actually the legislators who are in charge of the process. Um, and, you know, for, I mean, for what it's worth, if you look at it, um, especially with the congressional map, there is a segment of the population that is just sacrificed. There's like, there's, there's no representative for them. Um, because this basic math tells you that 40% of the population voted for a Democrat in the last, um, the last election, but um, the there's only one of seven congressional members that's a Democrat. So, so, so those people have to go somewhere, right? And also, you know, if you're talking about the legislature at, at hand, uh, you have to, to carefully engineer and draw and, and gerrymander these maps in order to minimize the impact enough to maintain a supermajority. Mm-hmm. Because again, simple math tells you that um, if you were drawing these districts and following population shifts and trends, um, there would just mathematically, there would be more uh, Democrats, potentially more African-American legislators. Uh, so you're really taking on a, 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 your primary goal in drawing the House and the Senate maps can't be the county, keeping the county hall and so forth. It's got to be working hard to maintain a Republican supermajority. And it just ends up where you don't, you know, some of the counties are whole and the precincts are split. So, I mean, I think one question is going to have to be asked is like what the, what the list of priorities are. And I think they'll hear this question several times. So I'm not you know, giving anything up. I mean, you know, when you were approached a district or a group of people, um, what was your primary focus? Like what was your list of priorities? What was the most important thing when you were drawing the maps? Um, and unfortunately, um, I think the primary objective is to put as many African-Americans in, in, in the same districts to minimize their influence outside of those districts to start chipping away at that Republican supermajority. So, Chris, let me ask you about what you envision a more uh, accurate map would look like. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you, how do you see as best you can, I know this is a, not a visual medium that we're on here, but as best you can kind of detail for us what that would look like. Well, for sure, you would have more than one congressional district that featured, um, um, a significant population of, of, of black people. Um, it just amazes me that in our meeting that we had Tuesday, um, that the chairperson acknowledged that populations had shifted. And the reality is districts had to shift. But the congressional map looks very familiar to the way it's looked for the last 10 years. So, um, so for one, I mean, obviously you would be taking um, um, the population that's in the Black Belt and in the city such as Mobile, Montgomery, Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, and potentially drawing a map that included more um, African-Americans in other districts so you could um, actually create competitive races. And um, the map that's there, the map demonstrates that in Alabama, 26% of the population and the growing population is uh, Black, which means that the map also could support um, districts that had a majority black population, more than one district that has a majority black population that gives uh, basically a, 
an opportunity for somebody besides a Republican to get elected. Um, so that's how my map would look congressionally. Now, House and Senate-wise, um, you know, if you look at major cities across the state, like Huntsville and Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Montgomery, Mobile, um, you see them ripped apart to maintain, uh, to, to continue that quest of, of, of trying to find black voters and put them into the black district. Tuscaloosa is a prime example of that. When you look at Ralph Howard's district or Representative Van Jim Campbell's district, um, it reaches all the way into Tuscaloosa County and it goes into the west side of Tuscaloosa. Both of them do, which has traditionally been the um, black area town, just to, to fill um, their population with, with um, more black voters. I mean, and it's tortured the way that the map looks, and, but it ends up drawing Tuscaloosa County, which has a population of close to 200,000 people, um, with seven House members. 200,000 people turn into seven House members. So it's, it's a ridiculous, but on the Senate side, a county with almost 200,000 people has three senators. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So the, the theory is keep counties whole until you need to find more black voters for somebody. Mm-hmm. One other so, quick. I'm oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. One other quick question before we run out of time. Uh, so the lawsuit has been filed by uh, uh, Senator Singleton, uh, represent, I'm sorry, Representative Singleton. And uh, and I'm uh, right now I'm drawing a blank on who the other person is. It's but, both Senator Smith and Senator Singleton, and I think the League of Women Voters. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So what do you what, what do you think the chances? What what are you looking at there? Do you feel optimistic about that lawsuit? I don't. I mean, I, look, um, lawsuits generally depend on the venue. Uh, and the judges these days. Um, so, you know, am I optimistic? I mean, you know, I guess in the sense that um, there's, I think there's enough flagrant activity in drawing these maps that I think could draw judicial scrutiny. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure we're going to go into court and get the remedy that we're seeking in terms of, you know, because Alabama refuses to do this the right way, that somebody else has to draw the maps, or because Alabama refuses to draw to do this the right way, that they have, we have to start the process over with some parameters around it that the third party, the third party or judge produces. Um, but ultimately, I don't think this process is going to work well with us, with the legislators, the politicians choosing our voters this way. But you know. Again, that is, it ultimately means that it'll end up in a court somewhere. And um, just based on recent history, we've noticed or we've, we've witnessed a trend that the court, the court has turned a, very, a lot more conservative, which has ultimately ended up in decisions that have continued to chip away at the Voting Rights Act. So, you know, um, but I do ultimately think it's going to end up in court. And that makes me extremely nervous. What what do you think? Um, let's say the court is not a remedy for for these issues, which it absolutely should be, uh, because I don't think anyone ever intended uh, on on this sort of you know I I, I think we got to just use simple words this sort of cheating 
um, in, in drawing up voting lines, uh, you know, and that's what it is. It's, it's just simply cheating that you're cheating the game here. You're cheating people out of their vote. You're lessening the voice of the people out there uh, and you're doing it across. It, it, I'm not just talking about Democrats or, or black voters or anything else, although I would say in our state, we're we're obviously doing that. Uh, and that's the purpose. Uh, but yeah. we're, you're also doing it for Republicans as well and some conservative voters. But what is the remedy then if, it, if it's not the court? I mean, that's the thing. I, I, uh, the process itself. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not naive. I mean, this we, we operate in the spoil system. You know, the victor gets the spoils, mm-hmm. um, which means that part of that part of that spoil is, you know, being able to draw the maps the way you see fit. Um, I, I just wish that it was more of a priority to give a voice for the legislature to give an audience and ultimately give a voice to the people who are, you know, trying to be involved in creating policy procedure and and actually voting and running for office. Um, So, you know, uh, to a certain degree, uh, you you would hope that the the people within the system would use the platform given to them to create a voice and an opportunity for the people that they represent to have an actual say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as we acknowledge, just based on numbers alone, there is a huge segment of our population that is just unrepresented, and the Republican supermajority can care less about that. Um, because really, this is this isn't all politics. This is an ultimate quest for power and influence, and the struggle to keep it. it you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, of of panels, of you know, of appointing different panels, and and they'd be you know, made comprised of. Uh, you know, academics and 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 people that that would just you know they're 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 not interested in in the politics of it. They're just simply interested in in fairly dividing up uh, the state. Uh, right. Would that be something that that Democrats would support? Um, you know, I don't know. To be honest with you, <laughs> because you know, politics is also driven by opportunity and keeping it and protecting it, and then being able to determine who gets it. So. You know, some of the same arguments that Republicans made when Democrats were in, in, in the majority uh, were making now as Democrats in the minority. Um, so, you know, um, again, man, I, you know, as I've witnessed in my 16 years of being in the legislature, which is entirely just it's a ridiculous amount of time, but uh, the years I've been in the legislature, um, the the primary quest of uh, politicians is to keep the office and to do whatever's necessary to do that. And redistricting and reinforcement, gerrymandering, whatever you want to call it, provides the appropriate, well, not appropriate, but it, it provides the best mechanism to make sure um, and, and protect self-perpetuation. I mean, it is, uh, when you watch the process and see how these districts are drawn up and, and you see sometimes they've been manipulated to eliminate competition, to take out areas that don't agree with you, which doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, that's what it's designed to do. Um, so I, um, I would, it would make sense, as you pointed out, to maybe to put together some, some sort of disinterested parties mm-hmm. that are designed to create a map that best represents the electorate that was created in the most recent election cycles, uh, because you would reflect like what the, best population or diversity of people to best represent the interests of the of the community right. at, at large. But 
that's not what we have. But I, I personally, uh, you know, I, I, I often tilt at windmills, trying mm-hmm. to remove money from uh, political race for running for judges, trying to create nonpartisan elections and those sorts of things. I mean, as far as election reform, putting together an independent panel would be something I think would be a great idea to eliminate some of this, um, uh, you know, people creating districts to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I'll use a, a Democratic example. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to Anthony Daniels the other day, and he was talking about the potential shift of his district and how there were going to be a lot of people who he's never represented before that would come into his district and that he was going to, you know, he was going to need to go out. Um, and, and he wasn't complaining. He was actually kind of said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I need, I need to go out and, and meet a lot of those folks and, and tell them what I'm about and, uh, you know, and see what, what their issues are and, and talk to them. And I, I just, I thought as I hung up, well, isn't that a, not, a damn novel idea, you know, to go out and meet because he was uh, a lot of the people that are coming in are, are white voters uh, that, that would be coming into his district. And I thought, well, you know, isn't that isn't that a nice novel approach to, to government where you actually go out and talk to the people who you might represent and have to worry about what they think? And, uh, you know, and it just it, wouldn't it be nice if it was that way all over the state? Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's those social things that's moving around the rough edges. So you don't get the fringes that affect more of the debate than the masses do. And like, uh, but, but also let's keep in mind that if you're like doing your job, like if you're doing a good job, if you're, if you're transparent about what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're keeping people informed, your, your heart is in your district and you're working for your district. You shouldn't have to worry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what he said too. I mean, he's like, you know, I'm not really concerned about it. I'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, because it's just, and, and that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, it's just the way that's, you know. Here's the overall picture, though. It's not mine. Like if, if the folks, yeah. whoever is in your district, decide that it's time for you to go home, then that's where you need to be, <laughs> not yours. It does not belong to you. So you don't. You're not supposed to design it to keep it. You're supposed to do your job so people want to reelect you. That's the whole, I thought that was the whole point about it, not saying, well, you know, last election cycle, I didn't do well in such and such a district, so let's draw it into somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Do your job. See what happens. And if you go home, then so be it. That's you're exactly right, man. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's so frustrating to watch this every time and and you know and it yeah i don't care who's in charge it's it's not this is not a, a fair process it's not what it was intended and we're we're doing all of our people a disservice here by by yeah. leaving it by leaving it set the way it is and well, I, I just I, I really wish it change but what i will say um getting more people involved and having to answer to more people who don't think like you moderates the process. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you that some of my Republican colleagues at this very moment um, are looking for something to offset the fringes, the loudest voices that are controlling the narrative and controlling the debate. I guarantee you that they're looking for that because as it stands right now, they're losing what, what, you know, what most people uh, in their minds consider to be a, 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 a actual conservative mm-hmm. or what the Republican Party initially stood for, because you really can't tell anymore. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure they would lob, lob the same sort of criticism at the Democrats and me. But, you know, I, I'll have to say some of that fringe out there is um, who's, who's actually running some of the policy for their party is tearing away at the very fabric of what this country was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, I think you'll see that conversation play its way out in this upcoming session, not only in redistricting, but when we're talking about vaccinations and things like that. So um, having to answer to more people moderates the conversation. Having to be accountable to more people who don't think like you um, makes you broaden your perspective and actually incorporate other opinions to create better policy. But as I've always been told, my dad tells me all the time, uh, good policy and good politics never mix. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's wisdom yeah. there. Yeah, it is. Yep. It is. Well, he's, he's a smart man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's, your, how's, your, yeah. how's your dad doing, by the way, retired uh, Alabama Supreme Court Justice John England? How's he doing? Uh, he's still figuring out how to be retired. Um, mm. it's not an easy thing, man. I mean, somebody that works as much as he did, works as hard as he did, he might, you know, he can imagine still works a lot. Um, but at the same time, my dad has never uh, been a stranger to a good time. So he knows how to do a little bit of both. And he's doing a little <laughs> bit more of having a good time these days. So he's earned it. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. If it, he, most people find it on the golf course. They, they, they refocus it on the golf course. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll find you're liable. You'll you're liable to see my dad anywhere. Uh, um, last couple of weeks ago, he was at a Chris Stapleton concert. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, good choice. Like Chris yeah, good choice. Good choice. Yeah. I just got to say before we run out of time, Josh, uh, John England and Ralph Cook, two great men, two great yes. men who Alabama history needs to needs to give their due. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. But I, you know, I, can I? I can I, yeah, can, go ahead. I pitch y'all, can I pitch y'all a podcast idea one day? Sure. I mean, I think, because I know, I mean, I think you should um, take some of these gentlemen, um, I mean, Joe Reed, um, or Dr. Reed, my dad, Hank, um, Fred Gray, um, um, all of these people, um, and give them an opportunity to actually tell their perspective of Alabama history, because I guarantee you it would be um, unique for sure, but it would probably create some additional perspective for your listeners. Cause I mean, they, they're, there's so much context in, their, in, in the history that they've seen and personally witnessed that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they should leave this earth without somebody recording it and putting it down on, putting it down for, uh, for the rest of us to, to to hear and learn from, man, I love yeah, it. Well, I I would uh, that sounds like a, a fantastic idea yeah. to me. And and since we have an end now with one of those people, uh, yeah. then I, I'm uh, we'll uh, we'll certainly lean on that to get one of those guys on, and uh, and I'll call uh, uh, down to Montgomery and see if uh, if our friend in the mayor's office there might be able to hook us up with the other one that you mentioned. And um, but, uh, uh, I also I forgot Earl Hillier. Oh yeah. Oh Earl. yeah. I mean, you get yeah, get these because and, and, and John Knight, but you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you. Yeah, but I mean, those folks, man. Um, there's so much history there that that still provides the foundation for a lot of the work that we're doing right now. It's uh, it's something. And if we can actually get all of them to talk at the same time, oof. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 
Mm. Yeah, one day, yeah. one day when we're one day when I see you, I'll, I'll tell you a story uh, about a dinner I went to that had all those people sitting around the table at the same time. It was amazing. Huh. Nice. I would, uh, I would love to, I would love to hear that. I've, I've been in, in some of those rooms where, where a lot of those guys were present. Uh, there was a lot of that stuff around the, uh, the 50th anniversary of the, the March yeah. from Selma. Uh, and, and so I, I've heard some of those stories, but man, uh, and, and I've known Fred Gray for, for a long time as well and, and, and listened to him tell stories a lot. And it's just, uh, and we actually talked about that in the, in the open, uh, of this and, and what went on with him in Montgomery this week. And, um, it, it, it is, you're right. It's a history. It, as I said many times in the open, it is an absolute crime that more people don't know this history that's there and it hadn't been taught in a proper way. Mm-hmm. Well, you better, we better hurry up because, you know, critical race theory may take it all out. Yeah, mm. yeah, you're right. You're right about mm. that. They're working on it. They're working yeah. on it fast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, Chris, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy about yeah. to get started with this session and uh, the special session. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk through uh, the, the, the re-gerrymandering process that's going on. And um, it is uh, it's it's a shame, but I, and I wish more people would care. And then I wish those concerns of the public that were there had been you know listened to in any way, shape or form. But uh, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah. Uh, anytime. And, you know, I always wonder why they call these things special sessions because there ain't nothing special about them. <laughs> <laughs> <That's the truth. laughs> All right. Hey, that, is, uh, that is Representative Chris. Thank Angus. you, Chris. Uh, here. That's, uh, uh, we're, we're always happy to have him. We're going to slide out of here. We'll be back in just a minute on Alabama Politics this morning. Hi, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, Josh and I have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us subscribe to us and review us on your favorite podcasting platform itunes stitcher spotify whatever it is you're using to listen to us please do that that will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in so if you're a fan of alabama politics this week i hope you'll do that for us thanks Alrighty, welcome back in. Uh, wrapping this baby up here, Alabama politics this week. Uh, it's um, yeah. Before we before we get into the into the last segment, though, I did want to say it, it. We and we probably need to, me, uh, not we, me. I need to do a better job of this uh, every week, and that's uh, letting people know that if you want to communicate with us, ask us questions, uh, have any suggestions for for the show, people that you know you'd like to hear on the podcast, uh, or you know, especially if you'd like to advertise and send us money, we'd certainly love that as well. Uh, but we, you can uh, you can email us uh, at uh, apw uh, producer at gmail.com and you got it in and it's not a regular w it's a w okay it's not a w it's a w 
That's a Southern W. That's right. It's a Southern W. It's a guy that was president for a while. W. 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 So, uh, but yeah, just, so you can email us there. I mean, we've also got, you know, Twitter and Facebook and you can certainly find me on, on any of that stuff. And, um, and yeah, so, so y'all, if, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you know, send us an email and really the funnier, the better, uh, would be yeah. nice. Uh, and, uh, and I'll say too, you can also make fun of us, me, especially that's fine. I'll still, we'll still read. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Yeah. We've got tough skin. Yeah. yeah, I had I actually had somebody reach out to me on Facebook and uh ended up having a very uh interesting phone call. I I if 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 what they said actually develops, it may give us something to talk about on the uh on the podcast. But but I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, not on Twitter, but I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, it's uh well yeah, and I uh, you know, I I think that we have it's it always surprises me. We talked a little bit about it at the at the beginning of the of the podcast, but it always surprises me just uh, the number of people who listen and and the wide range of people who listen uh, to this uh, now. Um, and uh, it it has it is a nice little uh, you know almost like a little community type thing that we've we, we've we're slowly building uh, in this and um, cool. and and that's just fine. Uh, you know, we we may do some things later where we 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 do more advertising and things like. That we're trying to to determine what we would like to do, but uh, that's you know to kind of get it out to more folks. But I, I like the I like people to kind of know what we're doing, know the format. You know the format every week. It's going to be the same thing. We're gonna we're gonna open. We're gonna talk. We're gonna have a guest. Then we're gonna talk some more. And you know that's that's <laughs> how how it's gonna work. And uh, you know and and people to understand what we're what we're doing and what we're about. And that's uh, I, I like it. I like the way that it has it has grown. And 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 we're we're very happy with it. I, I would say absolutely. Um, but uh, all right, uh, one thing I'm not happy about is uh, this stupid mandate uh, that, that Kay Ivey has has put in place uh, now. Uh, she mandate to stop mandates, uh, and it is. Uh, I know what she's doing. You know, I know this was discussed for a long time that all of these Republicans were going to try during this special session uh, where they they're going through uh, re gerrymandering. Um, uh, to bring up other things related to vac- the vaccine uh, and other mandates. And so in an effort to cut that off, she issued this executive order asking people, uh, at, you know, basically asking state agencies to ignore Biden's vaccine mandate, which is not really a mandate, but the vaccine option that he has put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous, but <sighs> My problem with it is, is it's yet another undercutting of the vaccine uh, by it's an undercutting of a life saving device that's free, that's safe and effective for people to put an end to this pandemic that has killed 700,000 Americans, uh, including 15,000 Alabamians, uh, giving us one of the highest death rates in the nation uh, on this. And, and we have our politicians actively undercutting the the vaccine and if you don't believe that's what it does that's a hundred percent what it does it it because they're in one on one side of their mouth they're saying oh well, listen we, we think the vaccine is safe and effective and we recommend you get it oh but also you know we're gonna say no more mandates for this stuff uh you know that's it, it's it is undercutting to a <sighs> to a degree that has left us with one of the worst vaccination rates in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it it's literally killing people, man. I mean, it is. I mean, yeah. I, that you, I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's it that's that's true. It's that that's what's taking place. People are dying, and you're cutting them off from this this vaccine that will save their lives. No matter if you still get the virus or not, it has showed that this vaccine basically saves lives. Yeah. The vaccine is an essential part of what has to happen for us to eventually, you know, move past this. The vaccine is an essential part of that. There's no question about it, but Unfortunately, the governor has bought into the same sort of logic or I would say lack of logic that police unions are using around the nation, that a lot of angry parents are espousing, you know, and it's just, um, you know, it's it's very concerning, you Mm -hmm. know, because you got a vaccine, you got to vaccinate, you got to, you know, in my mind, you got to vaccinate. You got to mask up. You got to social distance. You got to sanitize. We got to do all of those things in order to move beyond this and to and the double speak, you know, because the, the governor is really uh, it's a strange sort of it's a strange sort of tactic that she's using to me, Josh, because on the one hand, she's saying, yes, people should vaccinate. But then on the other hand, she's saying the mandates are an an overreach and we're going to fight these mandates. But the reality is, and the governor knows this just like you and I know it, Josh, Mm -hmm. people that have to enroll their children in public schools. And I think private schools as well have to get vaccines. Those children have to get vaccines. They have to, they have to do it. They have no choice in the matter. People that are in the military have to be vaccinated. And they don't have any say in it at all, you know. And the reason is because the military wants to ensure, and the same with the schools, they want to ensure that their communities are as safe as they can be. Yes. They don't see it as some sort of uh, an imposition on individual rights. They see it as doing something for the collective good. And and I think I think we should have the same attitude about the vaccines. Uh, I, I'm willing, though, to go as far as to say if a person if a person who is, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about people that are employed by the federal government or people that are dealing with front line uh, on the front lines of society, like police officers and first responders, I think they they should be mandated to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. But. But if you're talking about just the average Joe, you know, some national blanket uh, mandate or even blanket state mandate, I would say, well, if the person doesn't want to do that, you know, then fine. But then they need to they need to submit to testing, you know, two, three times a week. Yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, I think that's a fair alternative to to not to not getting vaccinated. But I still think that vaccination is much smarter and much safer for all of us than not. Yeah, it's um, I, I think that that is 100 percent true. I think if you look back at the history of our country, um, you can see that there is precedent for this. Um, you can see uh, and the courts have already said that there's they certainly have the legal authority to do this. Uh, to to implement, uh, it, it's not a mandate; it's a choice, a vaccine choice. Uh, you can be, you know, you can uh, um. You can either either get the uh, the vaccine 
uh, or you can be tested or hell, you can quit your job. Uh, you know, so so you do have a choice. Um, it, it's just it it's really frustrating to me because you look at the polling on this. All right. And you look at well, hell, not even the polling. You look at the you look at the statistics on this where 95 plus percent of Democrats, people who do identify as Democrats are vaccinated uh, and 56 percent of Republicans, people who identify as Republicans are vaccinated. That tells you that there is a politicization of this, and that's really well said by me, um, you know, of this uh, of this vaccine. And that, to me, is, it's just, it's disappointing and embarrassing and, um, and, and infuriating to know that you have people out there uh, like so many people in this state, so many elected people in this state who know full well that the vaccine is is a major part of us getting past this thing, this crippling thing that's killing people. Uh, and then to to use it as a political wedge there to divide people. I just think it's. I, I don't even know what what's the what the right word is to express the the dis, just the disgust with that you know and it's just yeah. because it is i mean it, you're you're literally trading uh, a little bit of of upward mobility for yourself there or, or personal gain for yourself that for for the lives of people you know yeah. you're undercutting this thing that you shouldn't be undercutting but but let me ask you this do you think that that mindset, the mindset that you're talking about now that these politicians have related to how they're using vaccinations as a political wedge, do you think that mindset is really any different from uh, these rabid death penalty advocates like our own uh, attorney general who are just, they have a bloodlust to execute and they will even execute people like the the gentleman that was just executed mm-hmm. in our state a week or so ago, uh, who clearly, clearly had a an intellectual capacity that was, I think, that of a child, basically. And it was documented, his IQ was documented, but they they executed him anyway. I mean, my God, who does that? God. Who does that? It's- and, and and with such pride, you know yeah. what I mean. With, with yeah. well, I mean, with such chest thumping, um, you know about the whole thing as well. And uh, and listen, what about the victims? Listen, I understand. Okay, I'm I'm I completely understand what you're saying yeah. there with with the victims. And it is, it, it, you're right. It, it's terrible what happened to her. But this didn't change it. You know, this didn't this didn't change what what took place here. If you had um, a, a person with with intellectual deficiencies that that murdered her, um, and 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 I, you know, I possibly did not co- comprehend what was taking place. I, you know, that didn't change anything. You didn't you didn't do anything. You know what I mean? You didn't you didn't better the world. You didn't you didn't solve anything. It just I, it's it's just so. To to do it and to then also gl- uh, gloat about doing it uh, to a degree is just 
Yeah, you know, you didn't you didn't do anything for anybody. You didn't help make anything any better at all uh, out of this. All right. So to me, it's the same mindset. I mean, we've got politicians who literally see people as opportunities for themselves, and that's that's far more common, I think, than we realize. It's really disturbing when you really consider that a lot of these people that the public gets enamored with and follow and, you know, would pledge their lives to serve and support that in the final analysis, many of them don't care about us. They just see us as a way to get what they want, which is power or money or influence or all of the above. Yeah. And listen, let me, let me say this too. Okay. About this, about the, the vaccine in particular, there is, there is absolutely, there is absolutely a segment of the population out there that said that looks at this and says, I, you know, I'm not sure. Because I, I, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I was the same way. I'm not sure about the vaccine. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. And had I not spoken with uh, Doctor Sag on our podcast and some others, you know, I may not have have been sure about about getting it because it was new. It was scary to you know to think about uh, going and doing this new thing uh, that they say is safe, but you know, do they know how safe it is? You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I think those are perfectly normal and uh, and understandable reactions and feelings towards this. I get it. I really, really do get it, and I understand your hesitation on things. But I'm and I'm not talking about the politicians like it's going to sound funny, Tommy Tupperville, who have said to you, I understand that as well. But I wish you would go and talk to these people and I think you'll come to uh, to a different understanding on that. All right. Had our Republican elected officials in this state and all around the country taken that approach with this, we would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Uh, out of this because it would have encouraged people to lean on doctors and medical professionals instead of on conspiracy theories on Facebook and other horse shit that's been out there that's killing people. All right. And that's what they played into. And they know that they played into it and they've done it for no other reason. In most cases, those people are vaccinated. It wouldn't dare go anywhere uh, without being vaccinated or without having a damn mask on because they know that they are in a high risk category and might die, but it didn't stop them from putting other people at risk. And that is absolutely deplorable. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right to single out Tuberville because he, he's sort of a, he's an interesting sort of middle ground to me on the, on, on that side of the political aisle, because on the one hand, he's saying unequivocally get vaccinated. You need to get vaccinated. He's not, he's not ambiguous about that at all. But he's also equally unambiguous about his opposition to mandates, you know, but I can at least respect, I can respect him more than our governor mm-hmm. and definitely than the former president because he is so unambiguous about the vaccine and about the need to do it. The governor has, has paid, I think she's, <laughs> she's kind of nodded in the direction of, of vaccines uh, when you yeah. compare what she's done and said with what Tuberville has done and said, uh, you know, she just hasn't to me, her, her messaging hasn't been as strong anywhere near as strong as his has been on the pro vaccine side. And that's, that's where I think she falls short. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And and the excuse of, well, we have to do it to to satisfy the base for the election. That's not an excuse. You know, that's that. Well, I mean, it is an excuse. It's not it's not a reasonable uh, thing to say. OK, this it, isn't uh, I mean, you know what I mean? This is not a gas tax or something here. This is actual life and death. And, uh, you know, you're you're putting so many people at risk with this and, and even short of death. I mean, the number of severe illnesses that it will take people uh, years if they ever recover from this. Um, they're, they're into the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in this state alone at this point. And so you're. I, it just to me, it's it's so so atrocious, and it's such a. Uh, I, I just don't. I, I can't. I, surely, when we look back on this, fifteen, twenty, thirty years from now, people are going to go, "What in the hell?" You know, what a what an awful group of people. Uh, you know that. I, surely, that's going to be the case, but I, I don't know. Uh, but speaking of uh, of truly awful people, I believe we have a uh, right wing note of the week this week. Um, uh, and it is <laughs> it is the awful uh, the king of awful uh, the orange king of awful. Uh, it's uh, Donald Trump himself. Why 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 are we picking Donald Trump this week, David? Well, you know my my uh, my my vote for Trump stems from the column that I wrote about how I think he and Mo Brooks. And some others just, you know, they really kind of are playing people for fools and with such a high level of audacity, just brazen, you know, brazen, brazen audacity and hyper egotism, I think, in in trying to say to people, yeah, yeah, we 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 tried to destroy the country, but. You know, guess what? I want to be president again. Would you vote for me? Would you vote for me? Because I want to be president again. I'm considering a run. And and so, you know, and then and then, of course, there's also the added the added angle, Josh, of the fact that some people are saying and I don't know, you know, obviously we'll just have to wait and see. But some people are saying that really this whole this whole flirtation that Trump is doing with running in 2024 is really just a ploy to continue raising money <laughs> for his legal defenses and and his, I guess, his business ventures or whatever the heck he's doing with his money and that he doesn't even really want to be president again. So either way, whether he does or doesn't, I'm saying I think he's playing the nation for a fool in a way that is astounding, astoundingly brazen, because he just tried to destroy the nation mm-hmm. and is still asking for our votes. He is a uh, he is a petty con artist. Um, he is uh, basically uh, an email scammer uh, come to life uh, in an uh, elected office, and he is uh, he's one of the worst humans that has ever. Uh, infected us. Uh, uh, I mean, really, he is. I mean, he just—he is th- the most narcissistic, selfish, egotistical person that I have ever encountered. 
uh, in any walk of life. Uh, the, I, I honestly think he truly believes that the election was stolen from him, despite the fact that there is zero evidence of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, if anything, he might have lost it worse than we first expected. Uh, but, um, you know, it's that this guy is still running around, that there are still people out there bending to his endorsements and recommendations and ridiculous statements that he releases through whatever fake media company that he's coming up with, uh, which is not a media company at all. It's just another scam for him to get money uh, because you he's actually asking people to donate or contribute to this or buy stocks before the company is even formed, uh, which is a new uh, scam on a whole new level. Um, and it, it is just, he's, He's just an awful, awful, awful human being. And the fact that there are so many people, including people who I like, genuinely like, who are still following this clown around uh, as though he is some sort of uh, savior for the country or whatever. It's just uh, go away. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you hear that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? Uh, apparently invested, they say perhaps as much as fifty thousand dollars in that in that whole uh, venture before the stock market price just bottomed out. Did you hear about that? <laughs> I did not, but that I, I tell you, the yeah. only surprising thing about that is that Marjorie Taylor Greene has fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and that she didn't spend it. You know, she didn't that. I'll say this. It's not surprising that she got $50,000 at some point. It's surprising that she still had it and it had not gone uh, to save the Prince of Zamunda, uh, who had recently been released from prison with $50 million U.S. from by his from his father. So that's what is right. really surprising to me. Uh, uh, I got you. Yeah. I yeah. got you. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. Don't you think so? Don't you think we've given them probably the best show that we, we could have possibly given them? Look, let me tell you, there's no better way to end a podcast than with a hypothetical Nigerian print scam. <laughs> that's that's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think you're I think you're right about that. So until next week, y'all be safe out there. <laughs> Watch out for Nigerian princes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well,